This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio powered by the Wharton School. A special show for us today as we are somewhat on the road on the University of Pennsylvania campus, but at the After the Digital Tornado Conference, as we'll be speaking with a variety of people about the unbelievable change that we have seen involving the Internet and algorithms over the last 20 years. And speaking of that, 20 years ago, Wharton's Kevin Warbach was working for the Federal Communications Commission and put together a paper that looked at many pieces of the impact of the Internet on our lives and businesses and society. That paper, The Digital Tornado, was put out by the FCC, and it grew great attention. Fast forward 20 years, and the Wharton School is presenting that conference, as we mentioned, to follow what has happened in that period of time, but also what we should expect in the future. This conference titled After the Digital Tornado. We'll spend our two hours today talking with people presenting at this conference to get a sense of things like how algorithms have changed our society, how networks are the basis of the Internet, yet they still seem to be exploited at times. And what's the impact of all of this on humanity and how that will all come together in the years to come? And joining us at the outset of the show to discuss the conference and what is being attempted here is the aforementioned Kevin Warbach, host of the conference, as well as Associate Professor of Legal Studies and Business Ethics here at the Wharton School. Kevin, uh, as we mentioned, has worked extensively with the Federal Communications Commission, both as a counsel for new technology policy while in the uh, Clinton administration, but also an advisor to both the FCC and the Commerce Department uh, on broadband issues uh, during the Obama administration. As we mentioned, back in 1997, Kevin uh, authored a paper put out by the FCC titled The Digital Tornado. So this is a little bit of a look back and a look ahead. Great seeing you. Thank you for coming in. Thanks, Dan. Glad to be here. Uh, I guess let's start with the paper to begin with, because, I mean, it's been 20 years since uh, since that came out. Uh, what are your recollections of doing the paper? And obviously some of the ideas that, that you considered as possible then that have kind of played out since. So I was counsel for new technology policy at the Federal Communications Commission, the FCC, in the mid-1990s. And it was clear at that point that the Internet was taking off. And I, I was certainly not the only one who understood that. Um, there were other people in academia and other places in government thinking along these lines. But it was also new. And we understood that there were a set of regulatory issues. The FCC, for example, has a whole set of rules to regulate telephone service and broadcasting and radio and so forth. Uh, and we knew that it was a challenge to figure out where those did and didn't apply to all these new services. We also knew that this emerging world was going to be huge and tremendously important to business, the economy, and just ordinary people. Mm -hmm. Back back then in the, in the mid-'90s, there were something like 20 million people on the Internet in the U.S. And, and, yeah. and that was and, and probably less than that in the whole rest of the world outside the U.S. And it was a dial-up service. Very few people had broadband. Yeah. Um, but we could all see that this was going to be transformative. So the and, and at that time, the other thing was that people looked at government and said, uh-oh, said all this innovation is happening. 
And the worst thing that's going to happen is government's going to come in and stop it. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I would go out and meet with these companies in Silicon Valley, and they would say, well, we don't want to talk to you because we just want to do our thing and not have government know what we're doing. And, and the response that I gave was, well, no, actually, you want to talk to us. You want us to understand what you're doing. You want us to understand your needs and what the challenges are and try to figure out how government and the private sector can work together. So the paper, Digital Tornado, was a, a working paper that I wrote that came out of the FCC laying out here's what the Internet is for people who didn't understand it in the public policy community. Here's the kinds of challenges and opportunities it poses. And here's some ways to potentially work through some of these legal and regulatory difficulties so that we can have a situation that the, the real important public policy concerns get addressed, but not in a way that harms innovation. So how do you think that relationship has played out over these 20 years between entities in Silicon Valley and, and entities in Washington, D.C.? So as I said, I, I take no personal credit for this. A lot of people were involved and a lot of people went down the same road. But it's, it's really quite clear when you look in hindsight that the U.S. government could have stopped this in its tracks, mm -hmm. could have pushed it to other places, um, could have uh, done nothing in a way that would have led to tremendous confusion and uncertainty. And it didn't do any of those things. It, it had some you know, missteps along the way, but um, very carefully over an extended period uh, took the necessary steps to facilitate the growth of this incredible engine of innovation and development and, and uh, put that out to the rest of the world. Uh, yeah. Do you think that, that we have, and, and when I say we, I think I mean the government, not necessarily uh, the public in general, but do you think the government has the, the level of understanding about still the potential of the internet. I, I mean, it feels like at times where we've still just kind of like hit the tip of the iceberg and there's still a long way to go. Uh, well, a couple of things I'd say to that. One is um, people in government have more understanding than you think. Right. Um, you can't generalize about the government even right. in, in one country or even in one agency. But uh, you look at some of the cutting edge issues now. I'm working now on things like blockchain and these token yeah. offerings. And uh, there are plenty of people in the regulatory agencies who understand this absolutely as well as the people in these startups and industry. Now, they have hard challenges to figure out how to, how to come up with solutions, do the political uh, figures, understand it as well as the staff people and so forth. But, yeah, I think the understanding is, is there at a general level. Mm -hmm. Um, but it really is incumbent upon the people outside of government, both uh, in the private sector and in academia, to engage and to help them understand better and to help them come up with solutions. And that's really what we've seen over the last 20 years. It's, it's frankly one reason that I did this conference. It was not really just about commemorating a paper. Right. Yeah. Um, it was about stepping back and realizing, wow, it's been 20 years. A lot of the things that were small and new back then are actually now very big and very well established now. I mean, right. Google didn't exist when I wrote that paper. Yeah. Uh, Amazon was tiny. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, I think, was in high school when I wrote that paper. <laughs> uh, and now these are some of the biggest companies, you know, most capitalized companies in the world. Um, so in some ways, things have changed very dramatically. In some ways, they haven't changed. And in some ways, there's a set of new issues coming to the fore that look very similar to the way those early Internet issues looked 20 years right. ago. So doing a conference like this, as you said, it's not really a commemorative thing. It is a look back and a look ahead and, and learning off of what has happened over the last 20 years so that we can be prepared for the next 20. In technology, we just congenitally 
have a problem uh, thinking about history, right? Because there's always the sense it's all it's new, it's never before happened, and you know, you attract a lot of young people who don't remember what it was like before. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I you know when I get my students in college, you know, they don't know what life was like before there were smartphones because they weren't alive for and, it. And history changes about every hour. Absolutely, in technology. Yeah. absolutely. There's there's no one who's been uh, working on these things for 150 years because they yeah. weren't around back then. So um, so that's it's important from time to time to put things in context. Um, and it's important also to realize when we see things that are new. Um, so some of the challenges we're now seeing with the power of these digital platforms and with these new algorithmic systems and with things like blockchain, yeah. um, those, those are new. But uh, we don't want to act as though they just came out of nowhere. We want to understand how are they similar to things we've seen before. And where did we get it right before and where did we get it wrong before and learn from that? Uh, one of the things, as you mentioned, you're going to uh, have people speaking about are, are algorithms. And I, I just wanted to get your, your thought on, on as I've mentioned with a couple people, algorithms when I was younger, I mean, were, were I think, a, a little bit of a different thing. I mean, they may not have been used differently, but they were perceived differently than what they are now. So if you can speak to for a moment about how algorithms have kind of developed and obviously how important they are to our society today and how important they will continue to be. Sure. So the three pillars of the conference are networks, algorithms, and humanity. And it's important to see that they're all interrelated. Yeah. So networks are the basically the fundamental business model of this new digital world. We've had network-based businesses for a long time. I mean, the railroad is a network business. Yeah. The telephone is a network business. Uh, but we didn't have those combined with this massive computing power and vast amounts of data that can be fed into these algorithmic uh, machine learning systems. So an algorithm is just kind of a computer science word for a recipe. Yeah. Uh, the, the algorithm is, is, is a basic building block. What we have now is the ability to build algorithms uh, with very powerful computers and with uh, mechanisms of artificial intelligence and deep learning and yeah. so forth, uh, and then put huge amounts of data against them and produce much more powerful results than we ever got before. And basically build machines and build a network-based systems that can outperform humans in lots of ways. Uh, so that's, that's something fundamentally new. And uh, these algorithms produce results that we have a hard time deconstructing. So you can have uh, a, uh, a situation, for example, where it seems like the algorithm is, is not biased in any way, right. but then somehow it produces a result that's biased. Uh, you can have situations where you may not even think that you're using anyone's personal data, but the uh, network and the algorithms assemble so many pieces of data that they eventually wind up getting at very sensitive personal data. So it's a new, new set of challenges. But again, it's important to, to back up. And look at where that came from. And, and the other interesting piece about it is the fact that there are so many, as you said, there's potential pitfalls in a lot of things in life, but obviously in this as well. But there are so many potential benefits, great benefits, whether it be uh, in the health sector or in uh, in automation or the automobile sector, depending on, you know, when we see uh, autonomous vehicles uh, on the road. So, I mean, we're talking about something that has both benefits and drawbacks on both sides of this. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the third pillar, which is humanity, right? Yeah. This, is, this is all about changing the human experience uh, for all kinds of people all around the world. 
And that's a tremendously exciting thing. Uh, you know, millions and millions of people have been lifted out of poverty and have new opportunities. We have all kinds of new economic growth and development because yeah. of these technologies. Absolutely. But we can't get so wrapped up in that that we fail to see the downsides. Um, and we fail to see uh, some of the ways that the technology can be abused. And, and certainly what we've seen in recent years um, with all of the, the use of social media platforms for misinformation, with all the mm-hmm. hate speech and harassment, all the privacy violations and so forth, um, they're, they're real challenges. And so I, I think sometimes when you talk about the potential – uh, and you're in communities of people who talk about the potential, they don't want to hear anything negative. Right. They just want to say, oh, this right. is all going to be great. And you, when you're with communities of people who focus on the negatives, they just want to focus on the negatives. Yeah. Um, and I think the opportunity that we have in an academic setting at a place like Wharton is to bring the experts together um, from you know, private sector, academia, government, uh, but but have the the opportunity – to not go too far in either direction, right. to say, let's understand what's going on here. Let's celebrate the good and try to avoid the bad. Is there a part, though, of the the potential negative, the potential downside of this uh, that uh, you almost to a degree have to just it's part of the process. It's not something that you can totally eliminate, but it's a part of of dealing, of getting up every day and, and having a smartphone, you know, at our fingertips and, and being able to have all of this information? Well, we're talking about the future of humanity here. And I, I don't want to be too you know, overly uh, broad. Yeah. But um, you think about already for people, especially in countries in the West, just how much those devices and those systems and those companies and platforms are already just a, a, an inevitable part of daily life. Again, yeah. you, you ask a college student, um, you know, how do you think your parents lived without a smartphone? And they do a double take. Well, you, know, that, <laughs> you just take that for granted. Yeah. So we're already at that point, and, and these things are going to be even more deeply embedded in our lives as we get Internet of Things and as we get these you know, biological systems and as we get autonomous vehicles and so forth. So that's inevitable. Yeah. Um, and the question is, all right, how do we live with it? Uh, how do we make conscious choices? And those have to be based on an understanding of the technology, conversations with the technologist, but also an understanding of, of what are the important human values that we want to preserve. But because when you go back 20 years or so and the government was kind of thinking out its process of, of dealing with companies involved in the internet and where we are now, especially as you said, with social media and how you get so much information, uh, you know, from those entities. Uh, back then the conversation at some point came up, whether or not these are companies that should be regulated like media outlets, that conversation obviously, and we've talked about this before is, is a very important one. I, I believe you're on the side of that, that these are entities that probably should not be regulated. Well, the problem is you have to break down what regulation means. Yeah. So clearly, when this policy debate started, the Facebooks and Googles of the world were the upstarts, and they were fighting against the big incumbent telephone companies and media companies who were regulated companies, and they were arguing for other kinds of regulations to ensure that the incumbents didn't choke off the new innovation. Um, now you look at these companies, and you have to admit that you know, Google is not a small company. Yeah. <laughs> Apple is not a small company. Amazon, Amazon. is not a small company. Yeah. Um, and uh, they, they have major effects on the world. So then the question becomes, well, all right, you know, what are the right kinds of actions to take? I, I don't think that um, it's as simple as saying, well, okay, they're big now and they're influential now, so we'll just do network neutrality for these players. You have yeah. to think about what exactly does that mean? 
where do some of those concepts uh, apply and not apply? Um, and ask the same sets of questions about what kinds of action could choke off innovation and what kinds of action could actually be successful in opening up new opportunities. So uh, in that vein, that's another another area where I think that the history is helpful to really understand how we've gone through these debates over a period of time. This didn't come out of nowhere. Right. Um, and uh, you know, understanding that, that's the starting point. But but yeah, I mean, this is not just a backward-looking exercise. That, that's, again, one reason that I thought it was an appropriate time to do this event, is saying, all right, now we've got this huge set of issues. The landscape really has changed. Yeah. How do we think about it going forward? Kevin Warbach uh, joining us here on our show. Uh, Kevin, who is a longtime uh, member of the Wharton uh, community as an assistant professor of legal studies and business ethics, and as we mentioned, uh, spent quite a, a few years working uh, in and with the FCC. So with having at this conference the people that you have here, uh, the conversations about how you deal with the Internet, obviously, as you said, have been going on for quite some time. These are conversations that will continue ad infinitum because of the strength and the power of the Internet, correct? Well, I hope they do. Yeah. Uh, we need them to. Again, it's uh, always tempting to think that technology is inevitable. And it's always tempting also to think that the innovation already happened. Uh, but that's that's never the case, right? There, there are choices that we're making all the time. And, and now this is a, a global environment. It's not just a matter of whatever the United States says right. goes for the rest of the world. How is the Chinese government thinking about this? How are European governments thinking about this? Um, and so we're in that environment where conscious choices and decisions will get made. And uh, I think it's really important to, to focus in on what that should be. Uh, and then also, frankly, again, these are conversations that a lot of us started having two decades ago yeah. when this was so new. Uh, and there's a new generation of uh, companies and executives. There's a new generation of academics, yeah. a new generation of people in government um, who may not uh, have had these conversations before. Uh, and I think we need to keep having that sense of renewal um, that this this is not just something that was interesting for people in the 1990s. These things are interesting now. And, and something like the gig economy, which wasn't around uh, back when you uh, were writing that paper, and how that has kind of influenced this as well, correct? No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's one of the things that was interesting when I started putting this together. I reached out to, you know, people that I knew, many of the leading figures in Internet law and policy over the, the past 20 years, um, you know, none of them uh, are retired, <laughs> and, uh, and 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 none of them are not busy as oh, well. <laughs> they're very busy, and they're all working on incredibly new, cutting edge things. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot more to be said here, and a lot more to be done here. Yeah. Um, and a lot more again engagement that has to happen with governments, with companies, um, because you know these are complicated technologies. Uh, but but we're not just having abstract theoretical conversations here. Uh, we're talking about things that have huge economic yeah. impacts and that just have huge impacts on everyone's life. But it, as you said a moment ago, you it, it's not just the United States anymore. It's China. It's Germany, France. It, you can run off the list of countries. So are those conversations going on between countries about the Internet as a whole and the understanding of what each country believes the Internet can be, is, and, and possibly will be in the future? Not enough, um, but sure, there are there are lots of intergovernmental activities going on, uh, and there's communities within all these countries. Um, but really what we've seen is some degree of divergence, where um, the promise 
that we were all excited about was that this would be this globalizing force. And in some ways, it, it surely has been. Sure. But the idea that there would be this sort of internet world that would have its own dynamics where sort of freedom would inherently reign and so forth, um, in a lot of ways, that hasn't been the case. We, we've seen countries, China being a really good example, sure. that have said, we've got a different view. We're going to control content on the network, uh, but we are still going to promote innovation. So yeah. uh, China is something that I think... 20 years ago, none of us would have thought was possible that it is in some ways tremendously repressive against yeah. everything the Internet stands for, in some ways tremendously innovative and a leader in, in many of these areas in terms of entrepreneurship and development. And that's just one example. Uh, Europe, for example, has gone a very different th direction than the United States on, on privacy and data yeah. protection. And we're seeing those conflicts come to a head. So I, just inevitably – Given that the world is global, given that companies are going across borders, we're, we're going to have to have these conversations. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, again, that's that's really the challenge that we constantly face. But there is also the concern, and just thinking uh, off the top of my head here, when you look at the fact that we all have smartphones and we connect with other people via smartphone, whether it be the actual phone call or the text or the email, whatever it might be, and you go back 20 years, even beyond that, when you think about what communication was back then between people, not necessarily media outlets, it was the true old wireline phone. And that obviously has, that piece to communication has changed. So how much is there discussion about affecting technology, but also affecting companies as well moving forward? Oh, so that's always a piece of it. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the, this conference is looking at the big picture and then drilling down on a number yeah. of different aspects. Yeah. Uh, but no, clearly, I mean, again, there's a danger in uh, projecting yourself backwards or forwards. Right. Um, we, we, we always tend to assume that the future is going to look kind of like the present in some ways. Sure. And then everything else is going to change. So we always think flying cars. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, that's the thing that never happens. And other things happen that we just assume would stay the same. Right. Uh, and it's the same thing when we look back. So it's like, you know, how did we possibly live with just telephones? Well, I, I don't really remember, yeah. you know, that that it was this kind of caveman era when I was growing up in the 1970s. We yeah. just had telephones. We had lots of technology. Uh, but it's, again, it's understanding what has really changed that's important and then looking forward and trying to think what's what's going to change next. Similar to some of the concerns that, that we hear occasionally about how jobs are going to be affected significantly because of all the technology. And some people say, well, you know, you're going to have AI and, and robotics and they're going to be taking over a majority of the jobs. Whereas some people say, well, but you still have to have a lot of people that are involved in that process as well. Yeah. And I don't know the answer to all of those questions. Yeah. Um, but what we need to do is think about them systematically. And uh, coming at this as a, a legal and policy scholar, um, start with, all right, what are, the, what are the values that are important? What do we really care about? And, yeah. and those are often inconsistent. We, we want pure innovation, but we also don't want people to be left behind, for example. Yeah. Um, and so uh, you know, part of the process and the, the kinds of people that are, that are at this conference are people who've been thinking hard for a long time about uh, not just sort of predicting the future in some kind of parlor game sense, yeah. but saying, all right, what do we want to preserve? And if, for example, it's really important that we don't have a large segment of the U.S. and global population that's totally left out in this world where you know, a relatively small segment has nirvana, how do we prevent that? Um, and how do we think it through in a, in a serious way? And, and those kinds of questions are eternal. 
those, again, yeah. those were the questions. We were talking about different things, but those were the questions we were talking about the FCC 20 years ago, and my predecessors at the FCC were talking about 50 years before that. Well, it's interesting you mentioned the word values because that's something I, I think it's a very important component to uh, to what we're talking about here, and, and yet – Again, not not to kind of flip the script and and look on the negative side of things, but a lot of people will say, "Well, you know, be darned with the with the values." We we are looking at the advancement, the technology, and the bottom line. So therein lies kind of the trick that you have to. Yeah, but technology always embodies values. It, it's yeah. not some neutral thing. This okay. is really the the you know, the key insight. Um, that, that so much of the scholarship has emphasized here. It, it's, it's not just that it's something that gets dropped down from the heavens, from some alien civilization. Yeah. We make decisions about how to build those technologies. Companies make choices based on responding to the marketplace and responding to their customers and based yeah. on their own views and ideologies and experiences. And um, those may be good. Those may be bad. The, the, this is not saying it's biased and therefore it's harmful. Right. Um, but, again, we have this sort of tendency to think that this is something that happens to us as opposed to something that we influence um, and or something that we influenced before but we don't influence now. No, we, we've got a lot of choices to make. Uh, and we individually, we through our governments, we through companies. Yeah. Um, and again, the, the only way to, to do that effectively is be intelligent about it and keep looking back and keep looking forward. Kevin Werbach is Associate Professor of Legal Studies and Business Ethics here at the Wharton School and host of this conference. Uh, what is your hope then, I, I guess, as people will get done with the conference, what is your hope that the discussion will be coming out of here? Uh, well, hope, I hope there'll be a discussion coming out of right. it. Right. That, that's, uh, that's, that's a key thing. But, reading, but, yeah. and, there, and there already is a discussion. But, um, no, I, I hope people will see connections that they didn't see before, that they will see situations where things in the past are relevant. They will see situations where things in other areas are, are relevant. So, yeah. again, we've got these various different pieces. And we've got a combination of you know, some very focused discussion of antitrust and competition policy issues and some very big-picture discussion about, you know, are we turning into machines? How is the very nature of humanity changing in some potentially very threatening way? Um, and, and I hope people will will feel sort of stimulated to to make their own connections. Mm-hmm. Um, but you never know. I, I basically, you know, a conference is valuable precisely because it's unpredictable. Because you can sit and read all the things on paper and, and not get that magic of human beings coming together in a room, uh, right. which is, of course, ironic, given we're talking about all this technology and how virtual everything is. Um, there is still no better way to promote insight and understanding than having people together at the same time in the same space. Which is interesting because we're talking about something that, as I, I said kind of at the outset, this is something that has developed so much in the last 25, 30 years, yet there is still, it feels like, so much great expansion and innovation that's that's still to come. Oh, absolutely. No question. And, and again, part of it is generational, that uh, the people who have grown up with the Internet and smartphones and social media, it's really critical for them not to think that they're at the end point, right. to question their own assumptions and think about where this is going forward as well. Now, I'm doing that, too. A lot of the scholars who've been at it a while are doing it. Yeah. Uh, but we need this constant sort of reinvigoration uh, of the community to move forward. So uh, that's just the nature of it. And, and again, it, it, you know, technology studies is, is always like the fish swimming in the bowl of water, yeah. that, that you know, the skill is stopping and seeing the thing that's all around you that no one notices. But seemingly with the generational part to it, it, it it's, I think, a benefit that I think we assume that the Internet is linked to 
millennials and Gen X to a degree, yet the baby boomers were potentially the side that could be get left behind. And that's not the case. And, and they have really benefited from this quite a bit as well. Yeah, these technologies affect everyone. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, the other thing is, you know, uh, the people who are the 20-year-olds 20 years ago or the 40-year-olds now, yeah. and the people who are 20-year-olds today are going to be the 40-year-olds in 20 years. So, um, <laughs> you know, these generational things are helpful in some ways, uh, but, but this is not a social phenomenon of one particular generation or one particular age group. This is about this massive, probably century-long project of connecting up all of humanity yeah. in ways that are unbelievably exciting and unbelievably scary. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're, we're not at the very beginning, right. but we are nowhere near the end. So that that's really the, the thought process. I called the conference after the digital tornado, not in the sense that we're after this and it's done, yeah. but in the sense that sort of this, this massive thing has passed through and, and, and shaken everything up and caused all this disruption and all this change. And, and now we're in the world that it left behind. Yeah. Now we've got to figure out what comes after this. Great seeing you again. Thanks, Kevin. Absolutely. More of our show coming from the conference in just a second here on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.